And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. We are your hosts, Jenna and Joe Sparks, and this is episode 106. Una mas. The World of Myth Bits. again welcome to the world of myth bits we are here with you in this beautifully gloomy day where we're at uh we have quite the handful of housekeeping uh so let me go ahead and get that out of the way because like i said there's there's a lot so first and foremost the pop culture expo 2021 uh layout is complete and uh, as we've been saying, there are precautions being taken to ensure everything is safe for our guests and vendors and everybody who's in attendance. Um, so with that, we have temperature checks per admittance. Uh, there will be masks and nitrile gloves that will be handed out to the guests. All booths, this is really important, all booths are six feet apart uh, with strict adherence to social distancing. Um, And there's also hand sanitizer stations. They'll be placed at the front, middle, and back of the auditorium uh, for your convenience. And the amount of attendees and tickets will decrease to a safe 400. And that will allow everyone to, to maintain these precautions and, and the social distancing measures. So, on the same subject as PCE, uh, Fozzie Bear of the Muppet Babies uh, is in negotiations as we speak. I should clarify and say that there's, that's the, the voice actor behind Fozzie Bear. I think it would be sick if Fozzie Bear actually showed up, but that's just me. All right. Moving on to the open contract challenge, which, yes, we're still talking about because our grand prize winner, Walter G. Esselman, uh, he will also be at PCE. uh, But his winning manuscript, Super Horror Max, is moving to the Dark Myth Publications 2021 lineup, and that's available for a March 2021 release. And our second place winner, Gabriella Balcom, has also been sent an open contract for an ebook. And the director for the Open Contract Challenge 2021 has been chosen and agreements have been mailed. So, moving over to Dark Myth. Uh, the Dark Myth publications uh, have announced that there is a negotiated three book deal with a children's author and a reacquisition of Beyond the Farthest Star. So that's been added to the lineup, and if you haven't noticed with Dark Myth, the goal is to acquire all the past titles from the library so we can have those available uh, for everyone to purchase and have in their their inventory. So also, 
Dark Myth has also picked up the publishing rights to the non-fiction book Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner. And this will introduce us to Dark Myth's non-fiction branch, Lily Mae Press. So that's pretty exciting. And on that note, uh, you can also look forward to The Chosen by Stephanie J. Barty with a projected release of December 8th, 2020. Uh, and, and also the World of Myth 2021 calendar released on the same day. Uh, so, yeah. And the, oh, yeah. And the Dark Myth publication site is almost done. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And like I keep saying, it's going to be the entire library. Um, okay. So this one is a big one. And uh, bear with me. The World of Myth. Oh, my gosh. The World of Dark Myth Comics is aiming for a December 2020 release date for Darker Myth, a graphic novel anthology with multiple stories. And this is quoted per the newsletter because I am having a very difficult time talking today for some reason. <laughs> the plan is to have the reader go to www.darkmythcomics.com and vote on which story they would like to see turned into a monthly series. So the number of votes from the audience uh, is what will determine which story will move into an actual series. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, all right. And we're almost done. 20. Count them. 20 stories have been chosen for the Zombie Works publication of Full Moon and Howlin'. And holy cow. That's a lot. <laughs> so we look forward to that one being available in actually just a few weeks uh, by November 23rd of this month 2020 and lastly uh horror audica which i know sounds weird over over the mic horror audica is being considered for a relaunch so uh the the concept is that it would be a quarterly issue uh, available in the Kindle store. So if you have any interest in submitting to be a part of this one, go ahead and send your stuff or, or your interest or just to open a dialogue uh, about uh, contributing, go ahead and send that over to dkmontoya at jzomon.com. All right, I told you that was like a long haul, but we are done. That was housekeeping. So if you've been paying attention, it's been a very long week. Uh, not only was the United States election this week, we're also on the come down from Halloween. So for me, it's been a very tumultuous time <laughs> in that um, I've also realized I've done a really poor job of like maintaining my uh, responsibilities. <laughs> I've really done bad. And uh, so I've been trying to kind of catch up and everything throughout the week. Uh, problem with that is, though, I've been staying up every morning until like 7 a.m. Uh, and and waking up at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So by then, life is kind of teetering into the late afternoon and nobody's, you know, really, really prepared for that. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, I've been trying to kind of play catch up. I've been trying to get prints, trying to get my store open, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to do everything. Um because because I'm really bad at at doing anything, especially for myself um, when it comes to that. I'm really good at distracting myself. I've been doing projects. I've been working on 
overhauling a table. I've been doing, oh my god, I reorganized all my my craft supplies. I've been doing everything but the stuff I should be doing. But in one of the things that I did do, which if you guys have been listening and it doesn't sound humble when I say it, so I'm sorry, uh, my art actually made it to an LA gallery, which is a big deal for me. And it was there all the way through November. Um, I actually got a message from somebody who was like, hey, is this for sale? And I was like, yep, it's for sale at the gallery. So I was kind of hoping it had sold, but it didn't. Um, anyway, so I got an email from the owner of the gallery who was like, hey, here's all the information about like pickup. And if you want to want to come back for participation throughout December or November, December, whatever month is next. Um also, you know, when we posted a picture of your piece on our face or on our Instagram page, it's doing super well. So I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot they they posted a picture. So I went on and I looked and again, not going to sound humble, but I'm going to gas myself up for a second because why not? Um, my post, not my post, but the post with my art on it had like the most likes on the page in like quite a lot of images posted. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, it's getting a lot of, you know, response and, and all of that. And so was, uh, also even comments, like most of the posts have like two or three comments on them. Mine had like 18 or 17 or 18. And I was like, oh, awesome. All right. Now we're going to break into the psychological aspect of this conversation and why I'm even bringing it up in the first place and why you're even listening to it. Most people. Okay. Again, not going to sound humble at all. I've never heard anything bad about my art and that can create a lot of mental tension because like I'm not even hearing like constructive criticism or anything like that it's always oh my gosh this is really great or I love this subject this is awesome you know and that's great you know like yes it it hypes me up makes me feel good everything like that but I'm also hyper aware that I am not <laughs> at the peak of where I want to be artistically. I know I never will be because uh, what is the peak? So going back to this Instagram post, out of 17 comments, this is great. This is amazing. Love this, etc., etc. 16 comments. And then one comment. Nah. N-A-H. Nah. That's it. That is all it said. Nah. Which, okay, that's totally fine. But what the heck? <laughs> I'm not saying sit there and praise me or praise my work. I don't. I genuinely, like, I, that is not what I'm saying. But I just think it's funny. I think it's funny that this person was like, nah. <laughs> you know, like, 
I get it if it's not for you. Don't look at it. You don't have to. It's not a political piece or anything like that. It's not even like a theoretical piece. It's a portrait of Rufio from the movie Hook, um, which is one of my favorite movies in existence. And every uh, childhood crush, I think, Rufio. So I just think it's it's kind of funny, you know, because I've had people who have voiced their, you know, uh, opinion that what I do isn't considered art, that they don't, you know, like it and blah, blah, blah. I genuinely don't care. <laughs> it's one of those, okay, you can keep moving. But when it comes to actual, like, just, nah. No. Like, it just, like, is so funny to me and odd. And obviously it does something to me psychologically if I'm still, after how many days of sitting with this, thinking about it, you know? Like, why is it wounding me? And it's, I can't even say it's wounding me. But it's living there in my head, in my thought process. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not insecure about it. I'm not even insecure about somebody just being like, nah. But I'm obsessing over it. Like, why take the time out of your day and just be like, no. You know, like on a random Instagram post, like it's just on. And the whole point of this is not for me to sit here and clap my hands on my shoulders and, and like I said, try to gas myself up or anything like that. I just think it's freaking funny that I'm hyper fixating on nah. Computer scientist Tristan Harris was just on the Rogan Experience and he brought up this exact subject is... He says it's a brand new phenomena almost for our culture today with the advent of social media and the, uh, which I still haven't seen yet, but I, um, it's definitely on the list. It's called the social dilemma. Mm. Um, and he worked at Google and he was saying in this podcast what how they create these um, algorithms, right? And these algorithms will determine what people are seeing on these certain sites, such as Facebook and stuff like that. Algorithms Um, suck. Such as... (laughs) They really do. I'm sure that's why nobody really sees me around on Facebook. Okay. Um, But when you have the system that's set up and you have like 100 people that are praising, and then just the one, and you fixate on the one, they're still actually trying to figure this out, like, as a whole. (laughs) Well, they need to hurry, because it's really annoying. It's such a new thing, and, you know, you have the trolls, and then trolling, and stuff like that. So, um, I really can't speak on it, because I'm just recalling from memory, but if anybody is interested, you should go over to the Rogan Experience, and check out Tristan Harris on there. And they go through the entire catalog of, uh, you know, how these systems are programmed for us. You know, um, it's 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 very interesting. Well, yeah, and I imagine that there's a lot of of like you said, phenomena regarding uh, social media and 
our psyche. Well, think about it right now. You know, on Instagram, how many posts are actually being viewed right now? Yeah. You know, especially with everything going on in the States right now. And uh, I think they just created a new algorithm that hurts artists Mm -hmm. specifically. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's as far as I know, it's I keep seeing it. It's like if you see a post on Instagram, the best way to boost it and kind of feed it back into uh, a visible algorithm is save the post. Crap, I can't remember the order. Save it. Hold on, I saved it. <laughs> um, but I noticed I noticed a like huge drop in 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 viewership and everything on Instagram, and I'm going to say that's probably for the better in a sense for us as a society minimally anyways and i think even in the episode tristan says that even if you wanted to fight this kind of system you'd have to fall off of social media for at least just one day per week and if everybody did that all of the algorithms would become screwed up of course then i'm pretty sure new algorithms would be born for that type of uh, scenario, you know, but um, either way, I'm sure that this tool that we use has formed into something that could be a little dangerous if not used correctly. I mean, is any tool really safe if not used in the proper manner? Oh, yeah. And it's it sucks because, you know, like social media is real, especially uh during and 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 while covid and quarantine is happening it's it's really our our only engagement to an audience especially if artists or you know independent uh workers are trying to make a living you know and it's hard visible and you guys have probably heard me complain about it before but visibility is so hard on social media and it's frustrating and it's the algorithm. Like, you can look up, and I have, you can look up the best time to post, the best, you know, day of the week to post. Um, and sometimes you luck out and visibility is just phenomenal. Other times, it's poop. You know, like, it, it's just, it's horrible. And it just, it's it's so freaking hard. And that brings me back to the psychological uh Phenomenal, because check this out, right? You're in an art gallery. You're in an L.A.-based gallery. That was a big thing. Like, bands go to L.A. because they want to play the Whiskey A Go-Go and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? That's where they go. Artists go to L.A. because they want to be featured in these prominent galleries. The Hive is one of them, right? So mm-hmm. you're in the Hive, and you got there, and somebody on the Internet, even though it's not the physical space of the Hive, <laughs> it's, it's a... Uh, virtual representation of the hive Mm -hmm. and somebody looked at it and said something and then it got you and it's like that is very interesting yeah and i think like honestly i don't know what would be worse you know like hearing it like if i were standing there and overheard somebody just saying like you know what i don't really i feel like it would be almost less hurtful because at least there i can hear the logic behind it other than just now, or even like just silent, like walking away, like, okay, it's probably just not their thing. Like, that's fine. I, that's not a bother to me. Um, and the quote, nah, 
unquote, should not be a bother to me either. <laughs> and it's like, I, I'm not losing sleep over it. But like, it's just funny. It's just funny to me that it's like such a like fixation on it. And I really want to understand more about like what you're talking about with this. Like, well, let me direct you over to this Tristan Harris podcast <laughs> on the Rogan experience. No, and I you'll know. Be like, you like, know what? That does make sense now. Like, yeah, in context, like I want to know what he says because I'm very, very curious. And I think part of what it is too, and um, it's a social dilemma in itself because imagine that scenario: somebody is by themselves looking at your piece on the wall and they just cross their arms and 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 loudly proclaim nah you know which i think even that like i would respect more than just a a, a comment on a post you know like at least like you would have context like in that in that regard you You know what i mean yeah you'd have context and repercussions and all kinds of yeah because if he if if i overheard that like in somebody that was happening i'd be like okay like cool like maybe i'd be a little butthurt but i think like it would be kind of an easier uh a spoon to swallow so to speak uh of of just kind of acknowledgement like all right it's just not for them that's fine that's the exact phenomenal (laughs) so yeah i just like i said i think it's really funny and i i think all artists across all you know, mediums are most critical of themselves. And it's scary when, you know, you finally kind of start pushing and and putting your stuff out there because you're like, you're anticipating and waiting for negative comments, negative reactions. Um, And I think like a lot of people are, are even hoping for it because at least that means like, okay, there's some insight into into this and why, you know, this this thing that's taking up space and and all of that. And like all my tangents before about, you know, uh, really just mean, nasty critiques about things that people put, you know, their love and their effort into that people are just like, I'm going to take a huge jump on this because, why not? <laughs> you know, um, I just think it's it's interesting this like anticipation for negativity, you know, and um, that kind of comes on uh, comes through through social media because that is I don't know about you guys, but that's where a lot most of my interactions come through, you know. And I was even talking to an old friend of mine. Uh, the other day she posted this funny like meme and you know she's like we haven't seen each other in so long and and we know it won't be boring when we do finally see each other and talk and I'm like you know dude to be fair like I haven't given my social life a chance in like three years (laughs) like I stopped I just stopped pushing for a social life because I'm pretty content you know, like I'm, but that's just the type of person I am. Like I'm, I'm a really like isolated person. And when I do get conversation or like, you know, intimacy from when I say intimacy, I mean like, you know, conversations and stuff and just like face to face time, which I haven't had in a minute. I'm okay. Like that's not a thing 
that stresses me out. Um, but I just think it's kind of funny. I don't remember where I'm going with this, but just uh, social media, social media kind of fills that void. And I've always been like that, like always. And I always thought I was weird for it because that same friend would ask, don't you want to go out? Don't you want to do things? Don't you want to go hang out with, with these people, like my friends and stuff? And I'd be like, not, not really. I'm kind of content just, you know, watching movies or writing or, you know, it's like, just, just can we hang out? You know, (laughs) do, do quiet things. Like, and I always thought that was, that was bad for me. So relationships via like social media and stuff, I think are beneficial because I know I'm not the only person. I realized much later, no, I'm just, I'm just introverted. Like that's just my kind of default setting and there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, I still make an effort, you know, to, to try to do things and talk to people and all of that. And, um, especially now that I'm not working, I know I kind of have to, um, force myself, but, um, it's just, it's, it's, and it's funny too, because like my best, best, best friend, we met on a writing forum when we were really young, like we were like, I was like 14 and it's, I did the math. It's 17 years later now and we're still best friends. And she, she lives like an hour away. You know, but we don't see each other regularly. We see each other every once in a while. She, you know, if you saw, if you, if you follow me on Instagram, you saw my post about, you know, my, me and Joe's anniversary and you saw a glimpse of her in the background. She officiated our wedding. Like, and that's probably one of my best, strongest friendships and definitely one of my longest, you know, and most consistent because, you know, like we kind of always have access to each other in that way. And I think it kind of relinquishes this anxiety of not having, like, I'll save this for when when I can tell her in person type of thing. Like, obviously, if there's important news, like, she'll call or I'll call her. But my point is, going back to, to you know, a minute ago, I think social media and, and like, uh, these kind of relationships, I, th- I think we're still trying to understand and figure out our psychological correlation and relationship. And, and like I said, being an artist and everything, and this is really your only forum, your only uh, platform for the most part and where you have full ownership of your work. It's exhausting and tiresome, especially if, you're not getting the follows or the likes and how much we adapt that to our self-worth, you know, going back to that subject. Because, you know, like I said, I could get 30 likes on a post. I'm like, oh, okay, obviously this one is crap. Then I could get, you know, 100 something on the other. And I'm like, okay, obviously this one is good. Like, and it starts kind of twisting and contorting because like the pieces that I love aren't always the ones that gain the most traction. And that's the great psychological experiment. Mm-hmm. 
uh, he actually goes into in depth about them actually creating the like button, right, and and contorting your vision of what actually is valuable, what's not, and yeah, like that. So in productivity, productivity, I think is a correlation of that too, because we we, you know, and and. It's hard to say this without it sounding really political. So, like, just kind of go into it with, like, an open mind for a second and acknowledge that this isn't political. (laughs) Um, We base our worth on our productivity and the amount that we're putting out there because that's a, a capitalist idea that, you know, we're only as valuable as the effort we put in, right? And so even though, like, I work day in and day out of my art, like, I put, you know, dozens of hours into a single piece, and when that piece doesn't gain traction or people just, like, it it just kind of moves on, and if I'm not posting regularly, if I'm not posting once or twice a day... I lose a chance at losing followers. I lose a chance at kind of falling behind in the algorithm. I, it, it really like it, it puts so much of this like pressure on you because of your productivity and your worth. And, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, because I know it doesn't mean that my work and my effort aren't good, that you know, what I'm doing, I'm not constantly trying to be better. I'm not constantly trying to kind of push myself and everything. But there's a big difference between what I know and what social media and that kind of like confused self-awareness of the outside world (laughs) confusing me, you know, and trying to be like, hey, we've got to talk. So on that note, it's it's a tricky world to navigate. And I think a lot of people and artists in particular see that. And on that subject, you know, and again, this is going to sound like a political statement and it's really, truly not. Um, social media for women is also very difficult. Um because it, it, it's another thing that's tricky to navigate. And you have harassers, you have, you know, uh, uh, hecklers, if you will, who are very vocal about things if you are not doing things they want you to do or post. Um, and, you know, that's a whole, whole huge, 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 huge conversation Um, and I think, you know, in addition to all of this, you know, when you are, again, not political, when you are a woman in the arts, it's freaking hard. And there's a documentary out there and it's called This Changes Things. And it came out last year and it's uh, Gina Davis produced it. And Gina Davis is an icon. We love her. And it shows the massive inequality in Hollywood for women. And I watched it <clears throat> a few nights ago. And I just it was everything I've been saying and everything I've been trying to tell people, you know, like it's it, things are, are you know, if we're just looking in the arts alone, 
it's so hard. And because there's so many things in the way. And um, usually it's not believed by men. You know, oh, well, you know, I work just as hard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we know you do. Like, nobody's arguing that. But it takes a simple Google search to see that women in art are nowhere near as respected as men. And it has nothing to do with talent or ability or anything like that. I mean, we can have a whole conversation about many artists who really, uh, meh, you know, but we're not going to do that. And when I say many artists, I mean, many revered artists from the past. Um, and it just, it's, it's such a big conversation and we're kind of running out of time, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something I wanted to address because like the first thing I did after I saw it and I kind of sat on it, the documentary for a minute, I texted Stephanie and I was like, you know, you're amazing at everything you do. And here's where this kind of correlates with social media. Um, I don't always feel <laughs> and I don't always think that my voice matters. You know what I mean? Like it's it's hard to kind of uh, uh, delegate these thoughts of what I need to say, what I want to say, what I want to put out there versus not saying them at certain times and having to be so aware of what I say and do at the right time and everything. And there are so many voices that are very important, especially right now that we need to listen to and we need to hear. But after watching that documentary, I'm like, no, 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 my voice is important. And with the things I have to say, the things I have to put out there, and I'm not talking about the podcast, I'm talking about written word, I'm talking about my art and, and really pushing and all of this. And one thing that I have maintained for the past, however long it's been that I've been, been working as an artist is if there is not a place for me at that table, I'm gonna force my way to that table. And I have, I've been in places I am not wanted. And I don't really care. I'm going to put my my seat in there and I'm going to be there because I know my voice is important to add to that table. And there are many, many other voices that are just as important, if not more important, to put at that table. And, you know, we need to be kind of more conscientious about that and listen to it, you know. <laughs> but that all being said, watch the documentary. It's science and it's facts and it's data. It's not, you know, theoretical or anything like that. It is actual numbers that show how bad it is <laughs> for women in media and the arts. And it's really good. It's This changes things. And it was on stars. So if you get stars, but you can probably find it elsewhere. So again, huge, 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 huge conversation. I think like the real goal would be what if I'm probably not going to pronounce his name correctly, but he's a tremendous violinist uh, is Tack Perlman. 
uh, he says that you will have the vibrato effect, right? So what happens is when he is performing and after he's done with his set, he would call this the vibrato effect because if you had not enough vibrato because up on the neck of the violin, there's certain spacings and, and uh, you have to have correct spacings along the neck and you have to adjust the vibrato uh, accordingly. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that could get tricky, obviously. So he goes on about how nobody after a set or a show comes to him and compliments that the vibrato is exactly correct. <laughs> how this correlates to that is because as soon as all these things are knocked out, nobody's really going to be talking about it. Yeah. Right? So the things that are correct, nobody talks about. Think about that. Think about your art. If somebody were to come to you and look at it and be like, this is just correct, you know? <laughs> this is just right. There, There is no just right. It's either lesser or more than expected and it's the same thing as vibrato how this how this correlates to this conversation is because as soon as there's a correct amount of voices nobody would talk about it you know this no. is the correct amount of people in the room um well, but go ahead. go ahead i was just gonna say that's why the the concept of like forced diversity when i see that and you've heard me complain about it before it just makes zero sense to me when i see that like in any kind of dialogue regarding any kind of medium. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's just reality. <laughs> you know, like just because we've, we focused on one narrative for the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, doesn't mean that that's the only narrative. And, you know, like you're saying, it's, it's that, you know, there will come a day where we don't need to talk about it. But until then, <laughs> It's got to be a conversation. Well, that's why independent things are so important right now is because you can have everybody's voice chip in, you know, uh, within the documentary Reese Witherspoon has her own company and she has her own production company and she's producing these yeah. films, you know. Yeah, and Jessica will. Chastain and even like Shonda Rhimes who created, right. you know, magnitudes of goodness. And just think smaller though to um well a little smaller think of the myth magazine and you can put your literature in there and, and everybody's voice is counted mm -hmm. in, into the literature as long as it's good that is that's where, what you that's, mean, where yeah. that's where the 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 site you know the the, the laser focus needs to be mm -hmm. as long as it's good it doesn't matter who created yeah it. well in the documentary that's what they talk about it's like you can create amazing, amazing, amazing content, but when you're looking at who you're trying to sell it to, that's where it gets difficult. And it's like the watch the documentary because you'll understand what I'm trying to say. But if you give the opportunity to enough voices, you're going to see greatness. Like instead of just looking at one narrative you're going to get dozens of different kinds of narratives. And that's where you kind of like open these floodgates of this, this great content, this great talent that we've been denying ourselves. And, you know, that's kind of where 
if you're ready to like kind of kind of take this into a roundabout way, not even roundabout, just into like kind of a closing segment of force this kind of diversity into your realm. If all you're doing is intaking content from one type of voice, you know, if it's somebody you 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 look like, somebody you relate to, somebody you you uh, feel is is similar to you, look at the perspective of somebody else. And that's why, you know, and I kind of want to jump back to a few episodes ago. Because I've really thought about it, and especially during this documentary, like I said, these are things I've been saying for years and years of my life because they're experiences of mine. And when I said a while ago, I don't always love it when women are written from the perspective of men, there's a reason. It's because that's historically been the only narrative there's been, you know, and it's not always an accurate depiction, (laughs) you know, and it's like, instead of taking that voice from a woman, give that space, open it up for a woman to tell her story, you know what I mean? And what I'm trying to say, and I feel like that vice versa. I'm not going to sit here and try to write from the perspective of a man. Because I I, it's not going to be authentic. It's not going to be real, you know, I'm it's just not my story to tell. So in that, like I said, it's it's being thoughtful to what you're you're allowing into your space. Like I said, if all you're intaking, like and be very conscious about it. I noticed, you know, in the past couple months, like my my Instagram feed, it's not very diverse, you know, because I was really looking at very specific types of art. And then I became very aware of it. And I'm like, oh, crap. I need to see more voices. I need to see different types of voices. And I can't even tell you the difference it's made in my perspective, just looking at different aesthetics from different point of views. Um, So yeah, like, I feel like if you're going to write in either or perspective and you're not exactly that specific gender or what have you, um, I feel you can do it in the perspective way that could be tasteful. Yeah. You know, um, I don't don't feel that you'd have to have specific context. Now, there's obviously going to be a huge difference between if you're going to write something like, let's say, Winter's Bone gonna write something like that i feel that that was in a very tasteful perspective you know um if you have this perspective like a first person perspective or like a psychological narrative then i can understand something like that and it absolutely depends on the story you're trying to tell you know like and like i said it's not every case i have read many a story watched many a film that does it just just right you know and one I want to bring up is is like American Psycho the book written by Brett Easton Ellis the film directed by Mary Heron and I think that one is is an excellent translation even though you know Brett Easton Ellis didn't like it but when you take the character 
who is so vehement on, a, you know, obviously he's he's pretty diverse in, in who he wants to hurt and wound. A lot of his uh, uh, anger, <laughs> you could put it, is, is put out onto women. So to have that story told from a woman's point of view, it's funny. Like in American Psycho, if you read anything about how Mary Heron directed that film, it makes complete sense why she tackled it the way she did. And it makes it even better. And, you know, in that regard, like, could you imagine that film directed from the male gaze and the male perspective? Like, that's tricky. That's kind of scary. Because honestly, that's a lot of our films as it is. <laughs> Not so much the, the psychological aspect, but this perspective of a man who is looking for something more beyond himself, wants to get to the truer cause behind his his personhood. And so he goes out and does it in violent means. I bet you can name at least five movies <laughs> that, you know, kind of take that. So, you know, from that, that logic, I think it's kind of funny when you think about it like that. Again, you know, this is all just a huge, 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 huge conversation. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. So, like, I can obviously only kind of kind of grab a few aspects of it. And I'll probably come back with more, you know, at some point. Um, and if, if perchance, like, you heard this and you're like, wait, you know, Take this, for example. Miles Morales did not negate Peter Parker, right? Correct. So if you have the narrative from Miles Morales, you still have Peter Parker's narrative in existence, and you're not like... The minute you hear Miles' perspective, you're not like, who Peter? You know, <laughs> like, you know who Peter Parker is. And just as much as, you know, these days now when you hear, you know, uh, 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 Peter's perspective, you're not like, who's Miles? Like, it, it's still just as valuable, as informational, as interesting, as unique as each other's. That's basically probably the best analogy I can make in regard to diversifying your intake of media. That's yeah, the vibrato effect because they're both <laughs> Spider-Man. So in my mind, I would, didn't make the correlation that it even mattered. Yeah. <laughs> so vibrato effect. Anywho, send us home. All right, guys. Thank you for sitting with us. We hope that your week has been um, calm, easy, not exhausting, but it has been. We can be found at theworldofmyth.com, on Facebook and Twitter, at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine. And also on Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. 
and we will have more interesting perspectives from here on out. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>